0: Every church has the same mission, but how that mission is accomplished can and should be different. There are many ways to do what Jesus commissioned us to do, make disciples. At Vintage, we believe there are four things we can provide that when fully engaged will inspire you to live and love like Jesus. In this series, we will walk you through these four parts of our vision. Our deep belief is when you make the effort to get involved in all four, you are equipped to grow in your faith and be the disciple Jesus has called each of us to be. Good morning. So, uh, last Monday was June 25th, and it didn't hit me until I was pulling in my driveway at my house after preaching um, our third gathering, which has happened on Monday nights. And man, if you maybe you're here so you don't come on Monday nights, God is doing something on our Monday night gathering. He just opened the door. To reach people. Uh, There are tears all across this platform right now. Like literal teardrops. Sorry. It's going to make sense in a moment. Maybe. Maybe. It hit me when I pulled into my driveway that it was June 25th because June 25th was a significant day for me. June 25th in 2007 was the day that Ashley and I packed up everything that we owned in the biggest U-Haul we could find and left the life that we had known for seven or eight years pastoring in South Carolina and moved to North Carolina to start Venice Church. And... Uh, it just hit me as I pulled in my driveway, like what day it was and the significant, and I'll never forget that day because it was the day I, I remember driving to North Carolina and I'm, I'm, I'm driving the, the U Haul and I'm driving up here and I'm thinking, I have lost my ever loving mind. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm leaving behind, like, a secure job, a secure p- position, an established church, or a really, a ministry that's, that's great, and, like, a lot of security, and, and, and a job where I, I know I'm getting paid every week. I mean, I mean, I'm headed out to do, to try to start something from scratch, and, and I, I'm dependent on getting paid from people who have pledged to give me $5 a month for the next three years. And and, I'm, and, I, and I and it's me and, and Ashley, my wife, and and my dad had just retired from ministry, and so they were going to be a part of the church. So I have four people. And 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 I just remember like. There was so much emotion in, in, in that drive, and I was driving in the U-Haul by myself, and Ashley was in, in our car behind me and all that kind of stuff, and I remember that. And last week, it hit me as I pulled in to my driveway after preaching three services and over 1,000 people worshiping with us and, and just like, just felt kind of overwhelmed with emotion and trying to process it all. And I remember praying like, God, somehow you've kept me from screwing this thing up so far. Would you just continue to do that? Like, thank you for all the times you have saved this church from me and my ignorance or stupidity or imperfection. And, like, how, like because I, I, it, it, there's something special about what God has been doing through this church over the last decade. And uh, it's just overwhelming to me. And I was telling somebody about that last week. I was saying, you know, like, Monday was, like, 12 years ago that we moved up here to start the church. And they asked me a question that I get asked a lot is, does it look like you thought it would? Like when you were driving that U-Haul on that Monday, like does vintage look like you thought it would? And that's a really hard question to answer because at that point, I I didn't even know if it would look like anything. Because in that moment, it was just a figment of my imagination. It was just something that, that God had implanted in my heart and when somebody says, does it look like, does, does what our church looks like now look like what you thought it would look like then? I wrestle with how to answer that question. Because if you, if you ask me, like, did, did I think it would physically look like this? Like, if I had an image of the building and, and the lights and, like, all that kind of stuff, that was never in my mind. That was in my mind. Like, like moments like that, like, like, I, because Jesus has radically changed my life. Like I'm, I'm, I'm uncertain about a lot of stuff, but I'm convinced that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, that Jesus is the hope of every human heart, every life that will ever live, that the only way to find joy and fulfillment in this life is to live in relationship with God through Jesus. And my life's purpose is to help people find what I've found. And that's all I wanted to be a part of. I want to be a part of something that helped people find what I have found. Not, not help people, you know, be perfect because that's, that's not what it's about. But help people find God. To help people experience the love and power of Jesus. And I believe then and I believe now that that's what God created the church to do. That the church was the vehicle that God decided would be how He would introduce Himself to the world. And I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that God decided to, to bring a collection of imperfect people to point to a perfect God. But that's what He did. And in that moment, like that, that's what I dreamed of. I've dreamed of moments like that when people are just. Letting themselves go. And, and, and church is no longer about pretense and going through the motions and just showing up and, and, and just going through the ritual of stuff. Because that's what it had been for me and for most of us our whole lives. And I was sick of that. Like, and I thought, it could be, I thought it could be more. And I remember coming up here to start this thing. And, and what I discovered is most people had, really didn't have an issue with Jesus but had a really issue with the church. And so many people, the reason why they were walking away from the church was because they had had a bad experience with it. But you know, I've learned something throughout my life that experience, expectation shapes experience and experience shapes expectation. Expectation shapes experience and experience shapes expectation. Like the, ex- the expectation you walk into a place with is going to greatly influence the experience you have in that place. You with me? Say amen. Like when, when you go in expecting certain, see, unmet expectation is the breeding ground for disappointment. Unmet expectation is the breeding ground for disappointment. And where we've all, anytime you've ever been disappointed, it's because you had an expectation that wasn't met. You walked into a relationship or you walked into a place or you walked into a job or you walked into something with a preloaded expectation. And when that experience didn't meet that expectation, you ended up disappointed and then decided whether or not you were going to go back or whether you were going to keep going or whether you were going to give up. Like there are so many people that, like the reason why you're disappointed in your marriage is because you feel like your spouse is not meeting your expectations. The reason why you're disappointed with your job is because you feel like your job is not meeting your expectations. The reason why you will be disappointed at the restaurant that you go to when you leave this place is because you will feel like the waitress or waiter did not meet the expectations you had for a waitress or waiter. (laughs) And then what's gonna happen is that experience is going to shape the expectation the next time you walk in there. So you're going to go somewhere today, you're going to have bad service. So you're going to walk to that place next time and you expect bad service. And guess what you're going to get? You're going to get bad service probably because you already had that expectation when you walk in. And maybe the, the one thing that's really ruined the church is ex- the wrong expectations. That so many people have had a bad experience in and with the church, but it's because... They had expectations that didn't get met. That's why a lot of us, like we, we, we expected certain things when we showed up at church that we didn't get. And after we went long enough and didn't get what we expected, eventually we just stopped going. And some of that is fair because some of us, we went to church expecting very proper things. We expected for somebody to greet us like they wanted us to be there. We expected to be able to sit in a certain seat and not be told that that was their pew. We expected to be treated with dignity and respect, and we didn't get that. But then there's another group of us that we went in, and our experience in church was bad because we had expectations that we should have never had. We had preloaded expectations based on whatever factors that were never even fair to have of the church to begin with. You expected everybody in the church to be perfect. Why? I don't know. But you did. And when you realized they weren't perfect and their imperfection got a little bit messy and their mess got on you, you ran away. You expected the pastor to look a certain way, (laughs) to talk a certain way, to handle things a certain way, To be accessible to you in a certain way, and when that expectation wasn't met, you were disappointed, and it ruined your experience, but the reality, reality was, why did you set that expectation? Like, we go to church, you expected that church to cater to your every preference, to listen to your every criticism, to do what you wanted them to do. And when they didn't meet that expectation, you went to the next church where they didn't do it either and to the next church and to the next church and you like a pinball bouncing from church to church to church. And the reality is, but so much of the reason why our experience in church is, is, is messed up is like so much in our life is messed up. Like we have, we have improper expectations. And so the question is, how are you determining your expectations? And so much of our expectations, again, Expectation shapes experience, and experience shapes expectation. We have a culture that says, this is what you expect. This is what you, some of us, you're frustrated in marriage, but you have expectations of your spouse that you should have never had. Well, they're they're supposed to make me happy. Who told you that? (laughs) We have expectations that are unreal, unfair. Unfair unnecessary, and unwarranted. And if our church experience is going to start getting better, there's a couple things that have to happen. One, we have to, cali- we have to calibrate our expectations. Because we all come in here preloaded with expectations of what is supposed to happen at church or as a part of church or in a church. But one of the most important things is, is expectations should be tethered to existence, That why something exists should be from where the expectations flow. And a lot of us have a misunderstanding of why the church exists, even though Jesus couldn't have been clear as to why it exists. See, the the church doesn't exist to cater to us, the church doesn't exist to do a lot of the things we think it does. The church exists to point people to, help people understand, and live in relationship with Jesus. That is the ultimate purpose of the church. And Jesus gave it to us before he ever left this planet. At the end of his life and his death and his resurrection and all the things that Jesus did, right before he ascended into heaven, he looked at to the original church and said, I'm leaving. You keep doing what I've been doing. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. And the church had its purpose. It was the same then, and it's the same now. The way we express it is express it we exist to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, because that is Simplest point, that's what a disciple is, somebody who lives and loves like Jesus. And every September or October, this year it'll be in September, we do a series called Live Love, where we're reminded what it means to live and love like Jesus, because that continues to get distorted in our culture as well. But all throughout the New Testament, like we, we have these little subtle and not-so-subtle reminders As to why the church exists, and if we don't, if we don't get on the same page about why this thing exists, we'll never be able to get on the same page of the expectations from it. With me, say Amen. So Paul would write this in Ephesians chapter four, starting with verse eleven. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Stop. Like right there, it says Jesus appointed that there would be people in specific positions and roles and places in the church for a purpose. Now, these people aren't better than anybody else. Apostles aren't better than prophets. Prophets aren't better than evangelists. Pastors aren't better than teachers. Like like these, these people aren't better than anybody else. They just have a specific assignment pastors are are called to no higher a level of godliness than any other person who follows Jesus. Jesus is all of our target. All of us. So stop putting pastors on pedestals. Because you know what's inevitable with somebody on a pedestal? They fall off. But he said like there's some people that like they have this role and see, here's where the thing is, we, we have expectations of what these people are supposed to do. The moment I say pastor, most of the people in this room, whether you grew up in church or not, you got an idea of what I'm supposed to be. I don't fit most of those expectations. <laughs> like, there's, there's, there's a set of expectations we have for a pastor. He's supposed to dress a certain way. He's supposed to look a certain way. He's supposed to talk a certain way. Like, when I was growing up, like, like, like you could see the pastor, because they the only person shopping at Walmart on Tuesday with a suit on. And there's some people that, that think I'm not a real pastor because I don't wear a suit. Just because you got a suit on your back don't mean you have Jesus in your heart. Like uh, we, we're, I don't know where we got these expectations. There are some people that think that, that I, I see pastors all the time and they'll say, hey, it's a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week job, isn't it right, pastor? Nope. I will say again from this platform, I'll say a thousand, there are three people in this world that have access to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Ashley, Aiden, and Leah, my wife, my son, my daughter. They're the only three that have unbridled access to me anytime they want nobody else. And I don't know where we got that expectation. It's not... Most of the expectations we have of church and pastors are rooted in culture, not scripture. Oh, well, it's the pastor's job to do this. The pastor's job to do that. Like we have these preloaded expectations. We have One of the things that has always, I've always tried to be really intentional about protecting is my wife. Because I know what it's like to grow up in a home where there's preloaded expectations of what a pastor's wife does. She plays the organ. Well, we ain't got no organ. We ain't going to go down the road. She leads the women's ministry, does the children's ministry, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, my wife has a ministry. You know her first ministry priority? Okay. So why did did God appoint these people in these positions? We don't have to read very far to figure it out. Verse 12. To equip, see all these people, their purpose? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Like the number one responsibility of those people that God has appointed to leadership within the body of Christ is to equip people to serve the kingdom of God to equip his people for works of service so that we all give and contribute to the kingdom of God as we've all been wired and designed to do. Our job is to equip people with truth and understanding of God's word and God's will and so that we all can be built up so that the body of Christ can be the healthy organism and vehicle of God's love and mercy and grace that it's supposed to be. Verse 13, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, the primary existence for the church, the primary reason the church exists is not even social charity. It's spiritual maturity. The purpose of the body of Christ is not to be a place where you show up, but a people that helps you grow up. That we're together trying to grow into who Jesus created us to be. It's a place for us to grow up spiritually and although we're in different positions and places in that journey, the purpose of us collectively being the body of Christ is so that we help one another grow in our faith till we get to this place where we're mature and we're living out our faith consistently and even though we walk through different seasons and have difficulties in our lives, the things that should kill us only make us stronger because we lean into one another and we draw strength from one another and encouragement from one another and support from one another and there's something powerful about the collective body moving together towards the goal of Christ likeness that's why the church exists that's the primary goal it's not for your comfort it's not to be a place for you to exert your will Or for it to be a place to to fit what you think church is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be a place that challenges you to grow in your faith and live out your faith. That's the purpose of the church, not vintage church. The church. And you do know every church has the same purpose. Every biblical church centered around Jesus has the same purpose. There is no room for discussion about why the church exists among the body. It's the same for all of us. It was the same the day Jesus gave it to us. And it will be the same the day Jesus comes back to take us home. There is no room to change the why. The why is eternal. But the how is temporary. Every church has the same why. But the same what and how can and should be different. It can and should be different. And there's there's not a, God is very clear about why we do church, but he left a lot of room for us to figure out how. Go read it. Like there are a lot of things in the New Testament about order of worship and eliminating confusion and that kind of stuff, but nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, every Sunday, not Sunday, Sunday, at eleven o'clock, at at, at nine thirty-five, you have Sunday school. <laughs> then you have preaching. You don't have church. You have preaching. And, and 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 the only place you can worship is a brick building with really pretty stained glass and a steeple that goes up to the footstep of heaven. <laughs> like nowhere in script. And I'm not. Listen to me. I grew up in that stuff. I'm not dogging that. I'm not demeaning that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But that's not the only way. I'm not saying it's a lesser way or a better way. It's not the only way. And it's okay for it to look different. It's okay for us to have different, like if we're going to accomplish the existence, there has to be different expressions. Because the expression that's going to be necessary to reach certain cultures and contexts and places and people and history and throughout time and in locations, like it has to be different. There are churches in this church in this community that are doing great job at accomplishing the mission of Jesus that look different than us we're not better than they are they're not better than us we're just different and when when can we just say that's going to be okay and we're not in competition because we're all fighting toward the same goal (laughs) and I understand that there will be people that walk in our doors and this ain't their cup of tea They don't like the way I preach or they don't like our music or our lights or whatever. And here's the thing. That's okay. That's okay. We can be a church for anybody, but we're never going to be a church for everybody. And that's okay. And to get comfortable with that. But there's the specific things that God has called us to do in order to accomplish that mission. And we're going to talk about those over the next four weeks, that there are four things that we think. Because if we, we right, if, if we know that's our why, our, our why is to inspire people to live in love like Jesus. Our why is to produce spiritual maturity in people. Then the question is, all right, how, how do we do that? Like, how do we take people from, from not even believing to fully following Jesus? Or how do we take people that maybe they, they were saved at one point, but they're, like, how do we keep people moving towards that? And that can evolve. That can change. That can look different at different times and places. But there's four things that God has called us to do, at least for, 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 the, for the foreseeable future. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this isn't the only way to do church, but this is vintage. This is who we are. And this is why we do the things that we do. And our belief is that if you engage in the four things that God has called us to provide, the body, that you will grow in your faith. Like if you will take the time to engage in these four things, that God will grow your faith. If you will, and, and all four of them are important. You isolate one or, or, or the other, or if you just engage in two, there's a reason why. And now, some people think maybe four is not enough, and some people think four is too many. This ain't golden Corral where you can take what you like and leave what you don't. Like, that's just not who we are. There's four things that we think we can do, and every one of these things is very intentional and thought through, and we believe biblical and purposeful. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about them so that you you know why we do these things and and how you can engage in them in order, again, the purpose is not to satisfy your desires or cater to your preference. We're not here to cater to preferences. We're here to accomplish purpose. And I found you can't do both. Experience, atmosphere, opportunity, platform. That's the four things that we do experience, atmosphere, opportunity. And platform, and I want to start today just by unpacking quickly experience. One of the things that we think is necessary for us to grow in our faith is the church has to create an experience that allows people to gather under one roof, authentically worship God, and learn the truth of his word. We call them weekend worship gatherings. It's what we do every single Sunday and every single Monday in this building. But we believe that there's a powerful thing about the people of God making the conscious and intentional decision to disconnect from the other things of life, to gather together as one body under one roof, authentically praise and worship to our God and lean in to a truth that you can understand and immediately apply. We call them weekend worship gatherings. And now there's a lot of people that think, that this is outdated and unnecessary. I, I don't have to show up in that building. I can, I can worship Jesus anywhere. That's true. I don't have to go to that place. But here's the thing. Like, number one, if you look all throughout Scripture, God has always desired for his people to come together as one in worship. Always. If you go back into the Old Testament, even go back as far as when the nation of Israel is being called out of Egypt and Moses is leading them to the promised land and they're wandering around the wilderness and God instructs Moses to erect the tabernacle, a place where they could come together and worship, a place where the entire nation at different times and for different reasons could come together under the promises and principles of God and lean into him as one body. And then you move on forward to where Solomon built this elaborate temple as a gathering place for people and the people of God to come together to be drawn from the, all the corners of life and gather together as one under a roof and give praise to God, united maybe by the only thing being their God. I know what you're thinking about like, well, the temple was destroyed and all that's Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. We're under grace. We're not under law. We ain't got to do none of that. You're missing a lot of what Jesus said. Go back to the conversation that he had with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 when this very issue of a of, of, of place of worship comes up. You know, he's met this woman at the well and he's been kind of giving her a life story talking about she got some husbands and this one ain't her husband. You know. John chapter 4 verse 19. says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. In other words, like they had always centered and gathered around a place. It had always been about let's come to a place and worship. And their worship was centered around a place. Jesus said in verse 21, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when, we, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Like Jesus is saying, like, uh, uh, something new is about to be ushered in, and it's not that God is going to erase his desire or, or, or plans for his people to come together in a place, but from this point on, it would not be surrendered around a place, it would be surrendered around a person. That true and powerful, authentic worship doesn't happen, it's not about the place, it's about the person. That no longer would, would worship have to be contained to a specific place, but it would be centered around a specific person, and his name is Jesus. See, hope isn't found in a place, it's found in a person, and his name is Jesus. And there is, when we come together in this room, there is nothing special about this building. There is nothing special about this building, it is steel and wood and drywall, and paint, and like like there's nothing special about this place. It's not about the place. But when the people of God gather in one place, focused on one person, and when the collective voice of the people of God is about His name and His fame, that place gets filled with His power, and miraculous things can take place. Not about the place. Not because of the place, but because of the person of Jesus. That's where the power, and if, and if we gather just in a place without being centered around a person, nothing significant will ever happen in this building. Nothing. I remember we, we started talking about building a building before God opened this up, and we sent out some renderings and that kind of stuff, and I had people corner me saying, Pastor Matt, I don't see a cross on that building anywhere. We're not going to have a cross on the building? I said, well, there's a T in vintage. I said, no. And then two things. Well, how? People need to know it's not just another building. You know what I said? It's just another building. When God encountered Moses in the desert, in the burning bush, and he had to take off his shoes because he was on holy ground, it had nothing to do with that dirt. It had to do with the presence of the one who just filled that dirt. Before then and after then, it was just dirt. That's all it was. And that was my answer. I said, well, how are they going to know it's a church? I said, I hope by the believing, faithful followers of Jesus that walk out of it every Sunday and let them know. It was never about the place. It was about gathering under his name. In Acts chapter 2, when the church was born, you read stuff like this in Acts 2, 42. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because they met in a special place? No, because they met and they were centered around a person, not a place. And the beauty of it is Jesus has promised us when we gather in a place but center our worship around a person, he's promised to invade that space. Matthew 18, 24, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. That we come together and it's not about this place. It's about the person whose name we are lifting up. And when we center ourselves collectively as one voice around the name of Jesus, significantly powerful things can happen. Another thing that's really important is to remember that all of this is driven by purpose, not preference. Preference. That when we, when we come together, it's driven by purpose, not preference. That when we start being more about appeasing people's preferences instead of accomplishing God's purpose, we'll fail to do either. Because I know every single person in this room got an idea of how we could do everything better at this church. That if we just did this song I heard on K-Love three weeks ago, if y'all just worked that in the set list, if we could do this, if we could do that. Or everybody got like, well, at my old church, that's your old church. This your new church. <laughs> like, And I don't mean that. And, 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 again, it's not because we know better or anything like that. But here's the thing. Everybody's got a preference. Everybody's got a style. Everybody's got something that like. And, and if, if, you're, if a church starts being driven by about appeasing people's preferences, it's a dog chasing its tail. You're never gonna be able to please everybody because as soon as you pleased about five people, you just ticked about 17 off. And so we always have to just think all right, all right, everything has to be driven by purpose. Everything has to be driven. And remember, ultimately, why we're here is not about catering to our preferences or catering to the specific style of music that we like or what. And, and nothing is more subjective than music. Sometimes I wonder, like, God, why did you choose to use this awesome thing as as such an element of worship? Because everybody's got, like, if we polled the room, everybody's got different tastes and styles, and it's never-ending. But remember, we're here, as it says in Hebrews 10, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. That the ultimate reason why we're here is not so you can hear the song that gives you the feels, but so that you can experience the God that can grow your faith. present truth. And one of the only lines I remember from college was somebody once said that preaching is truth through personality. And what you experience here is truth through personality. Some people ask, well, why do you do what you do? A lot of it is because it's a reflection of the personality of the leadership that God has pointed in this church. The, kind of the style of music we do is a reflection of, of the gifted, amazing people that God has put on this platform. And it fits their unique gifts and talents. And it's their best way to give God his best. And to come back to him. And some of the things that, 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 that I know we don't prefer. Why y'all got to have all them lights? We don't have to have anything. If that light don't work next Sunday, guess what? We still going to have church. It's a tool. It's a tool. Well, it looks a lot like the world. Well, thank God we rescued it. I say it all the time. Every time I'm I'm like, God, thank you that we redeemed these lights. They are not at a Marilyn Manson concert. We have redeemed them for your glory, and they're here helping your message be spread. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's too loud. Yep. (laughs) I can't argue that. People say, it's too loud in there. Agreed. (laughs) Some of that is because we do live sound. And if you want to give us a couple hundred grand to properly acoustically treat this room, it will sound a lot better next Sunday. (laughs) But can I let you know something? It's always going to be too loud for somebody. I think those people are going to hate heaven, but it's going to be too loud for somebody. (laughs) But did you know that there's a certain volume that we try to keep it at? You know why? Because we want you to feel like you can worship in this building and freely sing out to the top of your lungs. And we keep it at a certain volume because we want you to feel like you can sing out to the top of your lungs and praise to your God and nobody around you hear how off-key you are. So they can enjoy worship too. Seriously, there is a certain our, our engineers walk around trying to keep it at a certain decibel level to, to keep that because you know what? If if you feel like everybody can hear you, you're you're more likely to pull back and get reserved. And this needs to be a place of freedom. That's why we keep it a little bit darker during worship, just so you don't feel like everybody's eyes are staring at you and you can clap off key and raise your hands. And you know what? Here's what you need to know too. We understand. There are people in this room that are dancing hands all up and they're fully worshiping Jesus. And there are people that are standing just like this, just as authentically worshiping Jesus as the other person. This is freedom. (laughs) Your preference may be to worship one way. Their preference may be to worship another. Yours might be to scream like we have people that scream. And I've seen some people go, somebody scream. (laughs) It's funny when somebody new comes and they're like, but that might not be you. And you know what? That's okay. Because it's not about your preference. It's about God's And the purpose is that you exalt God, that you connect with God, that you lift him up. And and, and my preference is insignificant in that. People ask me all the time, why don't y'all ever do any hymns? We do hymns every week. What made you think that God stopped writing hymns a hundred years ago? Now, I know we went through that praise chorus phase and it was bad. But in the last 10 years, God has inspired some people to write some of them. Mo- you know, hymn is a noun and a verb. A, a religious song or a, a declaration of praise and worship. And if you, don't, if you don't think God's inspiring people to write beautiful hymns, you're not reading the lyrics that scroll on those screens every single week. God is moving on people to, write. Why don't we do some of the old stuff? There's a lot of reasons for that. You know, sometimes we just think... A new song, a fresh song, a fresh expression of worship is a powerful thing. And most of us only long for those songs more out of nostalgia than purpose. And you know what I do? Apple music. You can listen to those old-timey hymns in your way to work and get down with your worship all you want to with your southern gospel. It's fine. And you know what? Here's the thing. If you're a mature follower of Jesus, the music style doesn't matter. You can connect with God anytime, anywhere, anyplace. can't fall in love with our tradition, where tradition takes precedence over mission. That was Jesus' frustration. Mark 7, you let, you've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. You know, the psalmist would talk about using all kinds of things to worship God. Praise the Lord. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and with the pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Just sounds loud. (laughs) Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's, not a, it's about purpose. It's driven by purpose, not preference. Not my preference, not your preference. It's about purpose. And finally, last thing I'm going to leave you with. That what you take out of this experience week in and week out is much more dependent on posture than presence. It's about posture, not presence. It is about the posture of your heart, not the presence of your body. Like, we, just because you're present week in and week out doesn't mean that anything significant is happening in your life. You can be present in this building every Sunday till the day you die and not grow in your faith. Because if, if your body is present, but the posture of your heart is not surrender and openness, nothing's ever going to happen. And there's some people like, that, that you've been sitting in here for years and you're watching all this kind of stuff happen. You're like, I don't know what the big bus is about. He don't preach that good. That music ain't that great. Them lights keep hitting me in the face. You were here, but you weren't here. That just because you're, pre- you're, you're, you're physically present in the room doesn't mean that you've taken the posture of your heart that's necessary for God to accomplish in your life what he's wanting to week in and week out so you can come close to him with your body but not your heart. That's what is the heart of what Jesus again is frustration with the religious people today. Mark 7, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Like we we don't do this every weekend so that you can go through the motions. We do this every weekend so you can experience maturity. And that doesn't happen just because you show up. Your attendance will never impress God. He needs your attention, and that's not about being present. That's about a posture of the heart, where you surrender yourself and be open to what He wants to do in your life, because you've taken time out of your busy life to escape whatever is waiting you out there for just a 30 minutes, 90 minutes, a couple hours to gather in this room with the body of Christ not in a place, but centered around a person for a very specific purpose. And when you step in this room and allow the posture of your heart to not be stubborn or hard, instead open and ready to surrender, God will do significant things in your life. I watched it happen. So why don't we start today? We take a moment, bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna worship one last time before we leave. And maybe for the first time ever, or maybe for the first time in a long time, you need to adjust the posture of your heart and let God speak to you and minister to you and show up in you. You don't come here to listen to me. You come here to experience the power of the one true living God. And when we collectively do that and we center ourselves around the person of Jesus and bring up his praise, he's promised to invade that space. So he's here. He is here. Let him do what he wants to do in your life. Father, I pray that right now, maybe for the first time ever, the first time in a really long time, some people in this room will feel the power of your presence because you have promised us that you are here. And as we lift up your praise, may your power fall in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.